0: Welcome to The Perspective with Mike Sherboneau. We're a TV show and a syndicated radio show, and we are stepping into the conversation and looking to uncover how faith influences culture and how culture influences our faith. Be prepared to hear from some amazing guests, known and unknown, insightful conversations that will get you thinking. And most importantly on the show, we are especially interested in encountering the living God and hearing about how he is transforming lives. Check us out on the worldwide. Web at www.theperspective.tv on Facebook. You can search the Perspective with Mike Sherboneau, and you can also find us on YouTube. Well, when was the last time you thought about heaven? Heaven's an interesting subject, and many times we think about it when we're facing death. But a lot of times we don't want to give it uh, thought beforehand. Here to help us today to unpack this incredible subject is uh, New York Times best-selling author. John Burke. He's also the founder and pastor of Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. And uh, not only has he written the amazing book, which I have here, Imagine Heaven, but another book called No Perfect People Allowed and Soul Revolution. We could go on on all the things, John, that you've accomplished, but I just want to welcome you today. Thank you for coming on the program. Oh, thanks for having me on it, Mike. It's a privilege. Take us back to that pivotal moment. You are not yet a Jesus follower. Your dad is dying of cancer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was agnostic. I, I thought Jesus was probably just a good teacher. Uh, God, I didn't know what I thought, um, but my dad was dying of cancer and someone gave him the very first book, uh, the first study on what's now called near-death experiences. When someone clinically dies, their heart stops beating, Their brainwaves cease, um, sometimes for minutes, sometimes for hours even, and yet either modern medicine resuscitates them or miracle brings them back, and they come back speaking of a life to come uh, that they say is more real than anything they've ever experienced here, and I saw this book on his bedside table, and I just start thumbing through it, and I couldn't stop reading it. And by the end of the night, I'd finished it. And I said to myself, oh, my gosh, this God, Jesus stuff may be real. (laughs) This may be actual evidence that this is real. And, you know, I'm a skeptical, analytical kind of person. I I studied engineering. I worked as an engineer. um, And, you know, so the blind faith idea didn't ever sit too well with me. I needed some reason. And here here was something I could like understand the potential medical scientific evidence. And so, you know, that kind of opened me up. And over the next, uh, few years, I came to faith in Christ.
0: And, um, what did you struggle with the most? What did you struggle with the most in that in between time as you're processing things? Oh, I think what
1: everybody does control, you know, we, I mean, uh, we all get this idea that I know what's best for my life. And if I let God in, if there is one, i let him in or consider it. He's going to mess it up, you know? And, um, I think that was, that was a lot of it. And, and, and so the Lord was mercifully showing me as well that, Hey buddy, you're really not in control. Are you, this wasn't supposed to happen in your game plan. Um, and I, and I think, you know, I think that happens in life. Things don't go our way. And then we have a chance to to look up and, and find the one who does have a wonderful plan, does love us and, and really is in control.
0: So your dad is dying and you don't know how to process that. A few years later, you do. Talk to us about that transformation of feeling and thought.
1: Well, I, you know, I gave my life to Christ once I realized, and, and it wasn't Near death experiences that actually led me to Jesus. It was a lot of other evidence, all the historical evidence, all the things that God said He would do in in the Old Testament prophets, which we have proof of. Some of them and what they wrote existed before that first Easter. Isaiah fifty three is amazing because <laughs> it basically is the first Easter told in advance, and we have a copy of Isaiah from the Dead Sea Scrolls that predates Jesus by three hundred years. And that was what actually helped, helped my mind realize, okay, God is real, and he really has done this. Of course, then there's the issue of the heart, you know? Okay. Will I trust him? Will I give
0: him my heart? You know? And I finally did. So apart from your dad dying and then reading that book that was on his bedside table, how did you get to the point where you started to chronicle these near-death experiences? We're jumping ahead, obviously, several years. Yeah. And you've brought us to this point where this just, it's just an amazing read. It, it encouraged my faith. I've taken probably as many funerals as you have and looked death in the uh, the face so many times. And what a comfort and hope to hear these stories. But take us back, how did that happen?
1: Yeah, um, I, you know, looking back, Mike, you know, I don't think it was a coincidence, but um, I just had this incredible curiosity You know, and even while I went to seminary, I was I was running into these stories of people who had clinically died and come back, and were speaking of the reality of the life to come or being in the presence of God. and And I was curious how do how did these fit with the Bible? And honestly, it did. It it was thirty five years, and I've studied over a thousand near death experiences. And um, the reason I finally wrote Imagine Heaven was to show that the commonalities of what these people report across the globe aligns with what the Bible's been telling us all along. Now, the difficulty and the reason it took me so long is because how they interpret their experience does not always align with Scripture, but the way they commonly report what they experienced actually does. I like to use an analogy, like imagine if this three-dimensional world we're living in was really a flat, two-dimensional black and white painting on the wall of your home. And death means separation. So when you die, then your two-dimensional self is ripped off that flat painting and brought out into this three-dimensional world of color that was all around you, but you had no concept because you didn't have a third dimension. You couldn't even fathom where it was, but it was all around you. And you have this experience that's more real because it's more dimensions. And then imagine getting pressed back into the flat black and white painting back to life in your two-dimensional world. And you have to explain this experience of three dimensions of color, but in flat black and white terms. And after interviewing so many of these people who have had near-death experiences, that's what it is. It is an other-dimensional reality of heaven, of the, the afterlife, which is all around us. But we don't have that dimension to even
0: fathom where it is. We're here again with John Burke. And John, I want you to talk to us about the commonalities. What were the common things that you discovered with all these interviews with people who have faith background and without a faith background?
1: Yeah, in Imagine Heaven, that's what I'm trying to show is these commonalities are right there in scripture and they've been there all along. And, you know, commonly what people will say is when they clinically died. They left their body, but they still had a body. They had a spiritual body, and it was a body not with five senses. It felt more like 50 senses. Um, Interestingly, uh, the the reason that I became convinced that these are, are something to pay attention to and what convinced many skeptical doctors, I write a chapter, Skeptical Doctors in the Afterlife, is that many times those people are above their physical body and they're watching the resuscitation. So when they come back, they're able to give details, and there have been scientific studies done on the accuracy of, of what they should not have been able to see but were, at which, at which I write about has convinced, you know like I said, many skeptical doctors. But Paul talks about this spiritual body. In fact, I believe Paul may have had a near-death experience when he was stoned to death in Lystra. You know, in Acts 15, 14, it says they stoned him to death and dragged Paul out of town, left him for dead— And the believers rallied around him, and he gets back up and goes back into the town. He's like the Duracell bunny. That guy just wouldn't stay (laughs) down. Yeah, and I wouldn't go back into the town that just stoned me to death either, but he did. (laughs) But interestingly, in 2 Corinthians 12, he writes about himself, and he says, 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Why? Because we still are ourselves. We still have a spiritual body. He says, I was taken up into, into heaven in the third heaven, in a paradise, and I heard and saw things inexpressible. And Paul writes about this spiritual body in 1 Corinthians 15. It's buried a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. It's buried in weakness. It's raised in dunamis, is the Greek word, power. And that's what near-death experiencers talk about. It has new powers. They have, like, telescopic eyesight. They say they can see for miles and miles and every little detail of every leaf on every tree. Which you would think, well, that's not biblical, but actually it is. You know, John in Revelation was taken up into heaven by the Spirit on a very high mountain and is looking down at the New Jerusalem, and yet he reads the names on the foundation stones. That's
0: How did better he than do that. 20, that's better than twenty twenty vision, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's amazing. So there are all these all these commonalities, but often then after they see their body and they're there, they they travel. Some it's through like a a, a tunnel. Some it's like through space, but they come to a place of exquisite beauty, um, the, the kingdom of God. They come to a place where, and it's not unlike Earth, it's, it's flowers and grass and trees and mountains and, and birds and, you know, all of the beauty of Earth, except they experience it in new dimensions of, of time and of space. Like, for instance, um, Vicki was one uh, blind. She was blind from birth and I write about her in Imagine Heaven. Those who are blind in, on this earth, when they have these near-death experiences, they see. This I and found
0: fascinating t- in your book because of some of the yeah. blind people that are in my life right now. But carry on, just so fascinating. Yeah.
1: yeah, so Vicki is in this beautiful place, and she said light was coming out of everything. It's coming out of the grass and out of the flowers and the trees and the birds, and light's even coming out of the people. And there's this, this welcoming committee of people coming toward her, And she said the light, though, was love and and life. And this is common. Now, here's what's fascinating. Consistently blind people say that, that light was coming out of everything. That's what other indie ears, near-death experiencers say as well. But where would a blind person ever get that idea that light shines out of everything? They would have heard on Earth it shines on things, right? Exactly. And yet... And yet Isaiah 60 and, and Revelation 21 say in heaven, there is no sun or moon for the glory of God is its light. Jesus, the lamb, is its lamp, and the nations will walk in that light. And this is exactly what near-death experiencers around
0: the world are telling us. And the amazing thing so that, was that you chronicled was how they could recognize people that they had never seen before. They just knew who they were. There was that pers- yeah,
2: insight given and that's to them. A,
0: and that's another commonality.
1: Um, they usually have a welcoming committee of people that have died before them. You know, grandmothers, aunts, friends. Uh, in some cases, they meet relatives that they had never met on earth um, or someone who they didn't even know had passed away but did. Or they didn't even know they were related and they found out in heaven. In some cases, children found out they had a uh, an older brother or sister that had, you know, for instance, had been miscarried and the parents had never told them that. But when they come back, they tell the parents they met their brother or sister. And the parents said, you don't have a brother or sister. And so I <laughs> met them. And then, and then they, and then they fess up. Oh, we, we did have a baby yeah. that we lost in the womb. John. And it's gr- very, I mean,
0: No, I am sorry. as, as, as great as these stories are, you want to share with us that there was something even greater, the greater encounter that these people had. Tell us what that is.
1: Yeah, and here's the thing. As you read through Imagine Heaven, I'm showing you the scriptures through the eyes of these people, and the beauty and the reunions and the all of it is spectacular, but nothing, they say, compares, and, and nothing at all compares with when they are in the presence of the, the light and the love of God. Mm. And they commonly talk about being in the presence of God, and some know he's Jesus, in some cases, he, he he appears as you would expect Jesus to. Um, some are just experiencing this incredible light brighter than the sun, but love that is unconditional and personal. And he knows them. And they realize in his presence that nobody knows them better, understands them more, has been through it all with them. He's like a father, a parent, you know, a father, mother, best friend and, and even like a spouse all in one, uh, because he's the one who created this for himself. And he really is the highlight of of heaven. And, and I talk about that and imagine heaven of just how another commonality is they don't want to come back. You know, they say, uh, this, this life and this world, is just a shadow of, uh, of really what God has prepared for those who love him. Of course, Paul said that too.
0: In the final 30 seconds, John, what would be one thing that you want people to take away, not just from your book, Imagine Heaven, but from our conversation today?
1: Well, yeah, especially in this Easter season, um, you know, what God did through Jesus, he conquered death. He overcame the greatest enemy. um, And all of our sins, all of our wrongs were paid for. And To know that you're going to be with the Lord forever in the place that was the way earth was supposed to be, all it takes is a heart turning back to him saying, I want what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. I want your forgiveness. I want your leadership, God. You know, he loves you more than you can possibly imagine, and uh, he wants to do life with you. And I would say, you know, make sure this Easter that uh, you walk forward in this life with God because there's nothing better than, than what He has in store for you.
0: John, I want to thank you so much for being a part of the program today. I hope you'll come back again to talk more about Imagine Heaven. And why don't you stay with us? Because Mitch and I will be back in just a moment with Jeff Rhodes as he talks about this third dimension.
2: When you hear the word Easter, what comes to mind? Lots of chocolate? The Easter bunny? Colored eggs? Or could there be something more? To find out what that more is, North End Church is inviting you to join them this Easter Sunday morning at the Performing Arts Center, 250 St. Paul Street in St. Catharines. We are going there to make room for you and your friends and family. Music will be by recording artist Kevin band, and kids programming will also be available. A continental breakfast will also be provided at 9.45 a.m. with service starting at 10.30. Join the North End Church family this Easter at the Performing Arts Center with Pastor Mike Sherboneau, who will be speaking on the greatest comeback ever. Seating is limited, so don't delay. Reserve your free seats today. Just go to www.northendchurch.ca. Again, that's northendchurch.ca.
3: We'll see you then. We all love stories. They shape our minds, fuel our passions, and give perspective to our situations. Speaking of Perspective, have you checked out The Perspective on your local TV network? The Perspective is Canada's newest daily faith-based program that addresses the issues between faith and culture. You will hear stories from guests like Lisa Bevere, Daryl Strawberry, Paul Henderson, the Godwink people, David Nurse, and many more. Hosted by Dr. Mike Sherboneau, The Perspective is here to help you find and follow Jesus. Check us out at theperspective.tv.
4: Well, welcome back, and with us today is Jeff Rhodes. He has a PhD, and he is the author of The Bible, Dimensions, and The Spiritual Realm. Jeff, it's been great talking to you, and just as we were thinking earlier, I asked you about, uh, you know, what do angels look like? And I said, my brother's tattoo, he said it's a biblically accurate angel. It's spinning, it's got eyes everywhere. And just from what you've been saying, it sounds like, on the other arm, he could draw a Sunday school angel with the robes and the hair, and that would also be a biblically accurate
5: angel. <laughs> I believe so. I think you're, I think that's exactly right. Yes.
0: All right. Awesome. I get, think he could do a third one
5: in the middle <laughs> and it could just look like an ordinary Joe. Uh, how would you think about that? Hey, yeah. Uh, I think. well in Hebrews, it says that we entertain angels unaware, right? Exactly. So I think that's, I think you're absolutely correct in that, that sometimes we have maybe met angels, and we have been unaware according to God's word. I'm gonna go home
4: and tell my brother he's got two more tattoos to do. But hey, you know what, we're we're, we're clowning around. But Jeff, let me just jump in and ask you: uh, thinking about angels, thinking about spiritual warfare, uh, just talk to us about your understanding of spiritual warfare. Uh, Is it all about angels? What about demons, the different dimensions? Talk to us about spiritual
6: warfare.
5: So we see a lot about demons, especially in the Gospels. When, when Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth, I think there was a spiritual attack against him and against his mission. So we saw a lot of demon activity in his, in his area. And he did a lot of casting out demons. And he did a lot of uh, subduing the demons. But then when we get into the New Testament and Paul writing uh, to the New Testament believers, to us, he really talks about how we do spiritual battle. And it's by understanding and believing truth that it's in the mind. So one of the most important verses that we have, and let me read it, and it's in 2 Corinthians 10, three, four, and five. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, so here's saying, though we're in this three-dimensional world, we're in a three-dimensional body, we do not war according to the flesh or according to this three-dimensional body. For our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, uh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And people will focus on that strongholds and they'll think, oh, these strongholds, what are they? Is it, you know, is it Satan over our, our city? Is it angels over us? Do we need to pray against these? Well, he talks about that in the next verse and then the rest of that verse. He says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God mm. and bringing every thought in captivity. So it's about the mind. And over and over again, Satan has blinded their minds. Eve was deceived. I'm worried about you being deceived. Uh, The belt of truth against Satan, the sword of the spirit. So when we do spiritual battle, a lot of that really is believing truth. Satan is the the chief of misinformation. He wants to deceive us. So here's an example of spiritual warfare. Man, I'm down. I'm depressed. I'm nobody, Uh, everybody hates me, I'm not worth anything. Okay, that's opening a doorway for Satan to come in and attack me. Why? Because the truth is that God died for for me. He -hmm. came to earth. He died on the cross for my sins. I am important according to God. So we have to combat those things with truth. And so many times we don't do that. And if you don't know truth, you can't combat that. But spiritual warfare is very basic. It's very important. And it's God's word. It's God's truth that helps us do it.
0: Okay. I want you to take that. And let's talk about a slightly different aspect. Talk to us about the thin veil. How close is heaven? Hmm. And you'd mentioned earlier in the first part of the uh, the conversation that, you know, hell is also part of that dimension. Let's talk first of all about heaven.
5: Okay, so it's hard for us to picture a fourth dimension of space. So I, I always give everybody a little bit of, a, of an example. I started earlier. You have a you piece of paper. You got flat Man. Flatman. Flatman lives in this piece of paper. If I stick my finger into Flatman's world, he only sees what intersects with, with his world. He sees a circle. I stick my fingertips there. He just sees three circles. Okay, I can be right next to Flatman's world, and he has no idea I exist until I step into his two dimensions. So perhaps that's how it is with fourth dimension to our three-dimensional world. I believe the angels are right next to where we're at. Heaven is right next to where we're at. And when we die, we move one millimeter into that next dimension, or those angels move one millimeter into where we're at. We don't travel billions of light years away from where we're at. It's right next to us. So that thin veil, I think, is that just, us being unaware of the spiritual realm because of the fall. We relegated ourselves to our five senses. When we chose the fruit, when we chose to sin because of the five senses, now we've been relegated to our five so senses. So my
0: mind is going with the phrase that he is going to create a new heaven hmm. and a new earth. Thoughts
5: on that? So I'm having, yeah, fun. I'm
0: having fun just firing right. these questions out at you,
5: Jeff. And I think that it would be like for us going, let's say we live in a computer game. Like on my desk, I have a, a sim game and we live in that. It's a two-dimensional world. And when, when that computer, when that animated figure uh, dies, for example, and steps out of that two-dimensional world, he steps into my world where I'm at. Wow, that would be wild, wouldn't it? He'd have, it, would, it would be hard to explain, but it would be real. It would be concrete. It wouldn't be like where he was at. So for us, I think when we step out of this three-dimensional world into that four-dimensional world, it'll be a new heavens, a new earth. And then when he describes this new this Jerusalem, it's still hard. Is it a pyramid? Is it a cube? I think he's describing a fourth-dimensional uh, uh, place that's difficult for a three-dimensional being to explain. Right on. Hey, so Jeff, let me ask you this. I mean, we're talking about these
4: things, and uh, you know, even what you just said, is it a pyramid? Is it a cube? What is it? Well, maybe it's a fourth dimension, and so it's hard for... Um, you know, the, writer, the writers in the books of the Bible to even put it into words. Mm-hmm. So, if we're talking about that, what I want to know is should we, as believers, should we be excited about all this? Should I be looking forward to a fourth dimension? Because right now I'm saying, well, it sounds a little scary. I can't even look at it or wrap my head around it. What, how should I feel about this?
5: I think we should be very excited about stepping out into something that we're, where sound is more distinct, where color is brighter. We always make heaven less than where we're at. It's foggy, it's, it's hard foggy, to know. Yeah. I mean, this is our reality, you know? So it's, it's kind of things floating around. But I think heaven is gonna be more real than where we're at. If you look at science, and, and for those that are sep- uh, uh, seeking, skeptics, if they look at my book, I lay out a lot of science. I talk about string theory. String theory really points, it, it has to have more dimensions to work, and that's why I put it in the book. But it's really, it says that the basics of all atoms are space. And the, and, and the very basics of that Adam is uh, their electricity, their energy, it's little strands of energy. So there's a really good uh, fact that what we're living in is not, it's is not a simulation, but it's a three dimensional digital world that God created. He hit the space bar six times uh, on creation week and, and we're here. And when we step out of this, we're going to step out into the room, into the world where God is. And, and we don't, We've never been there, so we don't we don't know that. But he tries to describe it in three dimensional terms that makes us excited about it. Jeff,
0: we got just about a minute left in the conversation. Talk to us about the connection between spirituality and the things you've been chatting and science. Can they merge together,
5: or are they yes definitely? Separate? No, science really points to God. So there's there's scientific facts and there's scientific theory. And theories are always changing. Now, we look at the facts, and the fact is we live in a mathematical universe. There are laws. There are, are laws that, that, that uh, guide everything, that some creator behind this has created this universe. We didn't just – I'm not here talking to you on these computers uh, by, because we had some explosion in, in the past. Something either had to guide that explosion or something created us in six days and, and put us here. So when we look at science and we discover things, we, we, we look at, uh, at the theory of relativity. Wow, space and time are elastic. That really blew everybody's minds. You know what I mean? That, that it's not fixed. And, and so there's more, so what that shows me is with, the, with theory of relativity, with string theory and, and the various other things that science has, has found but they don't understand is there's more to our universe than meets the eye. There's more than we can understand. There's more out there.
0: Jeff, you've written an amazing book, and it's called uh, The Bible, Dimensions, and the Spiritual Realm. Bible, Dimensions, and Spiritual Realm. I want to encourage people listening today, watching the program, to get a copy of it. It has been so insightful, our conversation. Wish we had more time, but that's the reality of life. Jeff Rhodes, thank you for being with us today. We appreciate it.
5: It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Mike. Thanks,
0: Jeff. Thank you, and we'll be right back after this quick break. You've probably
6: noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome.
7: They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help.
5: If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome. Now that door is open any
7: time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor,
3: let's begin.
8: I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare.
3: This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church.
1: Country is a dark and divided place, but now
5: there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it.
0: Well, as we process this conversation we've been having today about heaven, the question uh has to be asked to you. And I ask it in respect. I asked it uh in sincerity: Are you going to heaven? Do you know for sure that? Uh, you are a child of God. That is why the perspective exists, to point people towards Jesus, that they will discover that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he wants to invite you today to be part of his family. Maybe you've got questions about heaven and we would welcome them. You can write to me, Mike at the perspective.tv. And to the first 20 people that write in today, you can request a copy of Imagine Heaven and we will send it to you free of charge. We want you to have this gift so that you can understand the incredible truth about what it means to have a relationship with God. David, the King of Israel, the guy who killed the giant Goliath, he wrote in Psalm 23, verse six, the final verse. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where's the house of the Lord? He's referring to heaven. How did he have such confidence? Because he knew that the Lord was his shepherd. That's how he begins that Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what we discover is that as we go through this journey called life, that many times we can be overwhelmed with the current reality. Maybe it's sickness, it's pain, maybe a broken relationship. Uh, Maybe it's you've been abused. The list is long and endless. But I want you to know that even longer and even Endless more is the love of Christ for you. He gave his life for you on the cross so that we can find hope and strength and purpose for living. And today, I wanna invite you to reach out to him and to say, Heavenly Father, I wanna trust you to be my savior, to be my Lord and my friend. I'm believing at this time for you to be my savior, amen. If you've prayed that prayer, write to me. I have literature I'd love to send to you and encourage you in this journey called life.
2: Stay tuned for the second half of the perspective coming up right after this.
7: Hi, my name is Roger Helen, Prayer Ambassador for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada.
9: And I'm Brittany Leon, volunteer coordinator at Jubilee Church in Calgary.
7: You know, all across our country, we are seeing a hunger for unity in and between churches and a deep desire to pray for revival.
9: We see that desire all across the Christian community, in pastors, in leaders, and of course, in individual Christians who want their churches to come alive in prayer.
7: That's why we are hosting IGNITE, a worship and prayer summit for unity and spiritual awakening. This April, Please join us in Ottawa, Calgary, Kelowna, or Regina for inspiration and training for pastors and church leaders. A half-day seminar will guide leaders on how to cultivate a culture of prayer in their churches, followed by prayer ministry and a catered, complimentary dinner.
9: In the evening, we will hold a public prayer and worship event in each city to seek God's face in worship and prayer. Everyone is invited to the evening event. We will worship and pray together for unity and spiritual awakening across Canada. It's going to be amazing.
7: So friends, you are warmly welcomed to Ignite. So please share this invitation widely. Invite everyone. Register today at theefc.ca forward slash ignite, and let's cultivate united prayer to bless Canada in the name of Jesus.
8: Time for a new perspective with your host, Pastor Mike Sherboneau and Julie Stoutland. Today, Clayton and Ashley Hurst are marriage and parenting pastors at a little wee church called Lakewood in Austin, Texas. Of course, Lakewood is anything but tiny. As Pastor Joel Osteen took over the church his father built and grew it, along with Pastors Clayton and Ashley and his wife, Victoria, the parishioners and many others to what it is today. Together, Clayton and Ashley are here to talk about their passionate hearts to help equip people in church and minister to couples regardless of how long they've been married, strengthening and helping couples to thrive, not only survive. Today, they talk about their latest book, Hope For Your Marriage.
0: Hey, we're glad you're with us today on The Perspective. It's going to be a fun show as we talk about this whole thing about what's a mega church. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe you're thinking uh, of a mega hamburger or a mega shake, but we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, That was kind of a lame line. I'm going to confess that. But we're also going to talk about mega marriage. Yes. How to make it really good. Mm. And we have uh, Clayton and Ashley Hurst with us. We are going to talk to them in a moment. Uh, What kind of church do you go to? Never asked you that. Oh. Is it a big
10: one, small one? I would say a medium one. Medium? Yeah.
0: Okay. What do you love about it?
10: Uh, community. Um, they're alive, friendly, great worship, great service. I, everything. Okay. I, I, <laughs> you know, I start thinking about that it. That sounds like you're pretty happy there. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: How about you? What kind of church do you go to? Well, you know what? It just changes every day, depending on who the pastor is. We're going to leave that one for just a moment. And uh, we're going to talk to Clayton and Ashley. We just want to welcome you today. Thanks for being with us and putting up with us so far.
7: Oh,
6: hey, Mike and Julie, thanks so much for having us. We're honored to be here.
9: Yeah, thank you so much.
6: So
0: maybe just solve the, the problem for us, uh, this term church. What does it mean to you? And people say, oh, it would probably be really impersonal. Um, maybe not. I'd love to just get your opinion on that, and then we're gonna jump into some other stuff that I I was gonna connect with people.
6: Sure. When, when, actually, when we first came to Lakewood, uh, we were at the old location before we moved into the new one. My daughter was four at the time, and she would say, Daddy, are we going to the church with escalators or the church without escalators? So that's kind of the difference uh, for us. But, you know, uh, yeah, we we love it because, it, you know, whenever we're walking around uh, the lobby uh, of the church, uh, it's actually a lot of small churches that are happening, a lot of small groups. The, the community that you mentioned is happening. People are connecting. You know, it's funny. We're all creatures of habit. And so most people attend the same service, uh, sit in the same area. And so you get to get a chance to meet people. But I just love the fact that all throughout the church, there's these small pockets of community that are happening. And to me, uh, I, it's kind of what we've kind of yeah, grown up with now.
9: I think it depends on what you like. You know, we've been there so long, I always forget that we are a mega church. Um, just because we have our own community within the church. We have friends that are our ride or die. I mean, they are there for us in the hills, in the valleys, and we are there for them. And so for us, it's just been, it's always been about community. We were, we were talking about that term last night and our 16 year old daughter was like, well, is it seen as a negative thing, mom and dad? Because our church is all about getting people to to love Jesus and to serve Jesus. So What does it matter whether it's big or small Mm -hmm. and i I said it doesn't matter whether it's big or small as as long as the theme is leading people to jesus and his love and hope you know whether it's big or small that that's the goal and so we love it we've been there 18 years Mm -hmm. and uh, we've served in different capacities in the church we started out in kids ministry now doing marriage and i tell you we love it we we've seen so many lives changed and healed and transformed. I love that we have such a heart for missions, too, local and global. And um, we couldn't speak highly enough about our church and our pastor, Joel Osteen. Well, you know,
10: guys, before we go into your Loveology ministry and everything, I have to say that I watched one of your videos online that that explained your whole journey from getting to Lakewood in the first place, and what a journey of faith it was, and how you kept talking about you needed to believe, and I in a short window if you could kind of give us a summary of that because as a couple coming together and walking through those tough moments and those tough times of of making a major change in your life it can be challenging when you're in marriage making these decisions and it really impacted me so hold on hold on
0: <laughs> they look like they're perfect like they got it all together <laughs> You guys don't really have problems, do you? You've never struggled.
6: Yeah, no, I, I think well, anybody who's married knows it's not easy. Uh, there is no perfect marriage. Uh, but I think for us, we're in a we're in a good place, we're in a great place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the very beginning, uh, I think we thought we knew what marriage was gonna be like. Uh I don't think we had a clue. Uh that I don't think we realized how much work that it that, it's, that it was gonna take. Yeah. And isn't that the same with everything? You know, whether that's your job. Whether that's your physical health, your emotional health, it takes work. You have to work on it, you mm-hmm. know. And I think for us, we grew up in in great Christian homes that were we were both involved in church, and and uh, our parents made it look easy. But, you know, they didn't they didn't it didn't look like they were really struggling ever. You know, they didn't yell in front of us. They didn't you know have arguments or whatever. So whenever we faced challenges, we didn't really have. The wisdom or knowledge. We didn't really have the understanding that uh, of what it was going to take, how to have mm-hmm. conversations, how to work through challenging things. But what we've realized over the years is that, you know what, if you want something uh, to be successful, you got to work at it. Mm-hmm. And so we, even though we're marriage pastors, we work on our marriage every single day. Absolutely. And, and not only are we benefiting from that, but also our kids, mm-hmm. our children are benefiting from it. They hear what we talk about, they hear how we process information, how we work through challenges, but also other couples around us. Some mm-hmm. of the friends that Ashley mentioned, you know, we help them, we help other couples as well. But I think uh, you know, the journey to get to the church or, or to come here mm-hmm. 18 years ago, we were just in a place of, God, whatever you need us to do, whatever you want us to do, we're willing to take those steps, uh, to be there, to be a part, uh, and, and we're willing to move forward, whatever it takes.
9: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that we've really been focused in on with our leaders, we have incredible leaders in our marriage ministry. And just to kind of continue that through through all the people that come to our classes is it's all about what you think. Whatever you believe affects how you feel, and that's going to affect how you behave. So what are you thinking right now? What are you thinking about yourself? What are you thinking about your spouse? What are you thinking about yeah. your family, your job? Because whatever you're thinking that's gonna be what comes out of you. And so let's start changing our thinking. And that's what we had to do when we found ourselves in this valley of hopelessness, five years into our marriage, we didn't change our thinking. You know, what are we believing right now about our spouse? Well, I believe he's a big
10: jerk. <laughs> so well, let's, let's, let's change that. <laughs> let me ask you this too, because again, I'm pointing back to that 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 journey to coming to Lakewood. What were you thinking, the two of you, when you had to make that decision of, okay, we really feel that we're called here and we don't have a job yet? Oh, mm, yeah, yeah.
6: I, I think that was, I don't think we knew what faith was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, taking those leaps of faith or those really steps yes. of faith, uh, to to get to where we were, uh, I think it was small incremental steps, mm. you know, and, and I think God was so gracious to mm. us during that season. Um, you know, I, I remember there would be times to where we would kind of get together and, mm. and we would say, I wonder what's next, you know, is, you know, what about plan A, plan B, plan C, you know, whatever it might be. And, and I think for us, it was just focusing on God, focusing on each other mm-hmm. and focusing on, okay, I don't know what, uh, step C, D, E, and F are, but I know that next is this. Yeah. And then after that, we'll see. And so I think it was just small steps for us.
9: Yeah. And we came from a very small town, a small community. Our church was small. And so when we started telling some of our leaders, they had hit such good hearts and they loved us so much. They didn't want us to leave. They were just like, you know, Lakewood's so big, why do they need you? And I, we were like, it's not about the need, it's about the call. Mm-hmm. We both know that we know that we know that we're supposed to be there. And if we have to eat crow later and we're wrong, fine. But you know, <laughs> Hebrews 11, six says that, um, that he rewards those who diligently seek after him. And so I'm like, you know what? Even if we're wrong, we are believing you, God, and we know we have a reward coming because that's what your word says. And so we just held on to that. We didn't know anybody, yeah. and we, but we just knew. We knew that we were supposed to be here. And it was a whole year of just believing and trusting God. I didn't even know what faith was until we went through that year. It was a beautiful year of us just trust. All we had was our faith. Because people thought we were crazy, and here we are, 18 years later, and God has done so many incredible things in our lives and the people that we've encountered. We tell people that we thought we were coming to Lakewood to be uh, to be to minister to others. We didn't realize how much we were going to be ministered to in our family. And well, it's been. Amazing.
0: Here's what we're going to do. I want to come back and unpack that more. We're going to take mm-hmm. a short break, and we're going to be right back with Clayton and Ashley Hurst.
3: We all love stories. They shape our minds, fuel our passions, and give perspective to our situation. Speaking of perspective, have you checked out The Perspective on your local TV network? The Perspective is Canada's newest daily faith-based program that addresses the issues between faith and culture. You will hear stories from guests like Lisa Bevere, Daryl Strawberry, Paul Henderson, the Godwink people, David Nurse, and many more. Hosted by Dr. Mike Cherbino, The Perspective is here to help you find and follow Jesus. Check us out at theperspective.tv.
2: When you hear the word Easter, what comes to mind? Lots of chocolate? The Easter Bunny? Colored eggs? Or could there be something more? To find out what that more is, North End Church is inviting you to join them this Easter Sunday morning at the Performing Arts Center. 250 St. Paul Street in St. Catharines. We are going there to make room for you and your friends and family. Music will be by recording artist Kevin Band, and kids programming will also be available. A continental breakfast will also be provided at 9.45am with service starting at 1030 Join the North End Church family this Easter at the Performing Arts Center with Pastor Mike Sherboneau, who will be speaking on the greatest comeback ever. Seating is limited so don't delay, reserve your free seats today. Just go to www.northendchurch.ca. Again, that's northendchurch.ca. We'll see you then. We're here
0: with Clayton and Ashley Hurst, uh, marriage and family uh, ministers at Lakewood. And okay, you talked a little bit about your own journey. We don't have time to unpack too much more of that. That's an exciting story in itself. Let's take this idea. we got so many people coming to church, but we all have the same problems and struggles so how do you focus in to help couples do life well like how do you know at the end of the day that you've been successful
6: Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's a journey that you take Uh, i think whenever we sit down with a couple uh, or our coaches sit down with a couple it's really kind of beginning to unpack uh what was normal uh for them growing up yeah what what was what did they see? What what was uh, what was displayed to them as far as marriage goes? But then beginning to change our mindset, kind of like what Ashley said earlier about um, about what does that look like now? How how do we need to change? How do we how do we adjust those things? Um, I think one of the things that we always talk about are the biggest needs, mm-hmm. uh, the differences between a man and a woman. Uh, what, what my biggest need for a ma- as a man is is honor and respect. You know, the biggest need for Ashley is is love and security. You know, for me, honestly, my normal was I didn't know that. You know, I wish somebody would have told a a 24-year-old Clayton when we were standing at the the altar, hey, listen, it's going to be really important that you uh, make sure Ashley feels secure and that you you, uh, continue to talk to her, continue to pursue her. You know, I think as we meet with couples now, we begin to unpack those things and we begin to equip them and put things in their tool belt that are going to help them take the next steps moving forward.
9: And we try to get them to understand that You're not gonna learn it all this week and then you're good. Yeah. You're not gonna learn it all this year and then you're good. We define marriage as an ongoing educational course that Mm. neither one of you will graduate from until one of you takes your last breath. And so we tell them Clayton referenced this part of the scripture earlier that a house in Proverbs, it says a house should be built on wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You know, so to have that, you've got to keep learning. Your your spouse is not gonna be the same person they were five, 10 years ago. They're changing. I'm a completely different person than I was. Almost 27 years ago. You know, Clayton was still, if I was, if Clayton was still the same Clayton back then, our marriage would not be good today. You know, we've got to change. We've got to learn. We've got to grow. We face different issues as you get older. You're, you're so many things change in your life. How are you going to handle these situations? Well, come to Lakewood. Let's get community. We have ongoing classes every single week. We have live groups that meet around the city. We do a monthly Zoom to, uh, for those that still aren't ready to come back to church, or those that don't live here but consider Lakewood their home, we have uh, we do a yearly Spark Marriage Conference at our church where we bring in the best of the best. Um, from around the country to speak. Um, because we want people to know it, it's not a one-time fix. Yeah. You've got to keep working on your marriage every single day. You
6: know, even even some of your viewers that been married 40, 50 years. I still remember my parents. <laughs> uh, they, they were married 55 years, 56 years before my mom went to be with the Lord. But I'll never forget their 55th wedding anniversary. They came to our marriage conference and I'm like, Why are you coming to our marriage in Houston in the summer? Uh, And and I'll never forget. My mom said, Clayton, the day we stop growing, it'll be the the, The,
9: the day we stop learning.
6: Tells you I remember it, (laughs) but the details are a little fuzzy. Yeah, the day we stop growing will be the day we stop growing in our marriage. The day we stop learning will be the day we stop growing in our marriage. So that she told me, she said, Clayton, we're constantly, you know, God's constantly making us better, you know, taking us higher places. We've got to do that not only for ourselves, mm-hmm. but also in our marriage.
10: And I think that's the great thing today. You are seeing people that of all ages are realizing, you know, it's not enough to just stay where we're at. We have to keep going. I have a question for you as far as like with loveology. I went on there and you have so many things that you're Wait, involved you gotta in. you got
0: to say that slower, loveology. Loveology, Apology. yeah.
10: yeah yes
0: <laughs> okay. all right we got to hear about this
10: <laughs> but about the ministry and you've mentioned some of the things but how like let's deal with like social media and couples and how do you target something like that do you have a something that you can address just under that in your in your ministry
6: yeah, I, th- I think in our ministry as well as you know, Loveology, it was actually you know it kind of came to the idea with Dr. Les Parrott and Dr. Leslie Parrott, and and they brought in people from across different uh, uh, different areas and different uh, specificities that, of what they're dealing with and what they're you know what they're great at. You know, the thing that we love about Loveology is that, you know, it's little nuggets of insight and little nuggets of wisdom, you know, and, and can help couples no matter where they are in their journey, no matter what they're dealing with. Uh, I think they, they realize that, you know, when you make something a priority, when you make your marriage a priority, mm-hmm. that's when it's going to grow. And so trying to find those things where you can gain the wisdom, knowledge and understanding to apply it to your life is really what helps.
9: Yeah. And I think, too. You've, you've got to understand your, your the social media, your phone, it's a tool, you know, just like your car is a tool. A tool can be used for good and it can be used for bad, right? A tool can save a life, like your, an ambulance can save a life, but someone could be drunk and drive reckless. This is a tool. How are you using your tool? Are you using it to build up your life or using it to tear down your life? Are you hiding things from your spouse or do you give them every single password? That's one thing that we tell our couples over and over again. Your phone should be an open book for your spouse. They should be able to get on any app on your phone and be able to look at anything they want. You know facebook any of those things instagram they should be able to see anything they want because vulnerability is so important in marriage and you know you need to be intentional about your marriage too sometimes this needs to be put down and you need to have face-to-face conversations but you have to be intentional about it both of you
0: well you know as you're talking about that i think of the experience we've all had to go into a, a restaurant or you can be on a train, on a plane, and all of a sudden people are all standing around you and they're all looking on their phone. Yeah. And it's such a breakdown because when we communicate between husband and wife, I need to look in my wife's eyes. And uh, I've had my knuckles wrapped a couple times because <laughs> I was glancing at my phone, just saying. Um, I'm going to get it all sorted out and then I'll come and do a marriage conference for you, okay? Sounds good. Why don't you just share with us, we're, all, we're out of time, but what is one important truth that you want couples to hear today
6: Uh, you know if i was to talk to the men i would say continue to pursue your wife Mm. just like you did before she said i do Continue to pursue her, call her up for a date night, open the door for her, write her letters, write her poems, whatever it might be. Continue to get to know her for who she is today, because I promise you she's different than she was the day you met or the day you got married. So continue to pursue Mm -hmm. your spouse.
9: I would say clothe yourself with humility. Mm-hmm. One of the number one things that we see in marriages why they break down is uh, is they have hearts of pride. And I think it says in Obadiah the pride of your heart will deceive you. And so we are constantly telling our couples where pride I mean no, wear humility, wear humility, wear humility every single day. Don't get a heart of pride. I think there's a scripture in James that says, God opposes those who are proud, but he blesses those who are humble with his undeserving grace. I think it's actually quoted in the Bible three times. And I'm like, did you hear that? God opposes those who are proud. So even if you're right, you're wrong if you're being prideful. But but when you humble yourself, even when you're right and you humble yourself, it's that God meets you there with his undeserving grace. Don't you understand that when That's you yourself, God is going to meet you there, and He's going to work out your problems, right? It says in, uh, I think in Psalms it says God's close to the brokenhearted, but then it goes on to say, but He will solve all your problems, right? Right. But it takes part of humility,
10: Pride humility, and for seeking after the woman. Those are two great pieces of nuggets. Good we've stuff. we've run out of time, but. I hope our viewers take that with them. Ashley and Clayton, this, this has gone way too fast. Thank you so much Thank for you joining so much.
0: us. Thank you for being with Thank us. You Thank you so guys. much. It was an
10: honor to be here.
0: Well, I'm sure you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, but my goodness, Julie, they got a whack of information. <laughs> they sure do. So synthesize it. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. What was your takeaway?
10: Keep chasing your spouse as far as for a husband, chase your wife and uh, the wife, you honor, and respect and support him. And I know for myself, I keep changing physically, spiritually, emotionally. I'm not the same person I was when I was first married. So, you know, I'm constantly surprising my poor husband. So, you know, we have to keep <laughs> chasing one another.
0: And my poor husband, you mean, <laughs> no, no, that's for another conversation. <laughs> We're glad you're with us today. I'm gonna be right back in a moment to share some teaching from God's Word that I am trusting will inspire you for this coming week. I want to take this moment to tell you why we do the perspective. And Julie, there are two words going through my mind.
10: I know what they are.
0: What are they? Hope and help. You got it. You knocked it out of the park. (laughs) Hope and help are so important. And can I just share with you as the viewing audience that We want people to experience the hope that happens when they put their trust in Jesus. I know it transformed my life. It will transform yours if it hasn't already. We also want to help people, and through the many interviews and as we teach God's Word, to help people to realize that the Lord is with us, that He is our refuge and strength. So could I ask you to help me give hope to people across our country? Why not go to the link below and donate to support the perspective and together we can give hope and help to our country. Every one of us wants to live with hope. We wanna be encouraged in life and especially in this journey called life. Uh, we're thinking of Clayton and Ashley and what they shared, and, and we want hope for our relationships. We wanna know that they can go the distance. Uh, I know you think that, I think that. What is the key? Where do we find hope? Because hope really is heaven's handle to hold on to in hard times. And during this week of teaching, I want to take us towards what we would typically call some Easter thoughts, the hope of the resurrection. Because you see, the reality is this, when we know the hope of the resurrection within us, the certainty that Christ rose from the dead, that he is our savior, that amazing love can transform any relationship. It's that agape, that unconditional love that Jesus showed for us, that when we experience it, we can then show to one another, and in particular, in the context of today's show, to our spouse. Because let's be honest, there were days when uh, my wife would wake up in the morning and look at me and thinking, wow, he's not quite what I bargained for. And it also goes the other way as well. So what causes us to have the unconditional love? It's knowing and experiencing Christ. I wanna take you to what I would refer to as kind of a a unique Easter passage. Uh, It's a passage that talks about the reality of the resurrection. It was the certainty by a man who lived long ago. Now this guy, his sufferings uh, even today was legendary back then. His many possessions were gone, his 10 children were all dead, and his good health was all but a memory. And then along came his friends to ask, why? What was the glaring sin in Job's life that cost him all this? Job lacked understanding. He didn't have the answer to the question, why? But he believed that there was more to the story. And he actually believed that he would be vindicated by someone who he called my redeemer. So eager to document his argument, he said these words found in Job 19, verse 23. Oh, that my words were written and that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. You've seen stones by the roadside, they're markers and there's engraving put in. It could be a historical milestone of some sort or where something happened and they want it there as a permanent marker. Well, Job is saying, I wanna make a permanent marker. I wish my words were inscribed in a book. Little did he know that they would be. But what is it that he wants to say? He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Wow. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Job is saying some amazing things. This is what was giving him strength for the journey. Sometimes when the journey gets hard in a marriage relationship or in any relationship, we just want to pack it up and we wanna leave. Job lost everything. He lost his health, he lost his wealth. He was probably the most prosperous man living on the earth at that time. Lost it all, but especially he lost his children. Eventually his wife would say, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job comes back to a truth that stabilized him. My goodness, it was like an anchor holding a ship in the midst of a storm. And the storm couldn't get much worse. Have you ever felt like that? The storm you're in just can't get any worse. But what is it that grounded Job when he didn't have the answer to the question why? When he didn't understand why he was going through so much incredible physical pain and suffering? He says this, I know that my redeemer lives. The one who he was following was not a dead God. It was not some idol on a, carved out of a piece of wood, or some rocks that were piled up. He says, I know that my redeemer lives, and at the last, he will stand upon the earth. Job knew that he would give an account to God at one day, that his redeemer would come back and stand on the earth. And then he says this, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. He knew the day when decomposition would take place in his body and all of that that would rot would fall apart. He says, in my flesh, I will see God. He believed in the resurrection. He believed in the hope that we can have when we know that our Redeemer lives. And I want you to know that he's alive, he's a well. Jesus is the Savior. He died, he rose again, and he's coming back for you and for me. Put your trust in him today.
2: Thank you for listening to The Perspective with Mike Scherbineau. If you like what you heard or have a question for Mike, send him an email at this address, mike at theperspective.tv. Again, that's mike at theperspective.tv. Visit our website at www.theperspective.tv and check out our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com and type in The Perspective with Mike Scherbineau. There you'll find hundreds of videos that'll keep you entertained and thinking for hours. Thanks again for listening to The Perspective, where we are always seeking to uncover how faith influences culture and how culture influences our faith. Until next time, we'll talk to you then.